O Lord, open now our minds to your word that comes to us from Isaiah the prophet. In your name, amen. Our text for today is the Old Testament reading. I read this and I thought, well, maybe I should preach on the Old Testament for a change because I haven't done that for a long time. And this is an interesting text. So I decided to use this as the message today rather than gospel or the epistle. So if you'll turn to that for a moment in your order of service, the Old Testament reading. You'll need to keep your worship folder in front of you because I want to refer to a number of things on here. But as you heard Marcus read it, there's some interesting points in here that maybe might be a little bit questionable in your mind if you think about it. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus. Now who's Cyrus? You know anything about Cyrus? Not, not Miley Cyrus of, of uh, Hannah Montana fame, the singer. This is Cyrus, the king of what country? Anybody know? What country was he king of? He was king of Persia, which is present-day which country? Iran. Iran. Right. We no longer have Persia, we have Iran. But he was king of Persia, and he had defeated Babylonia, where Nebuchadnezzar was king, who had deported all the leading Israelites out of Israel when he beat them up in war and destroyed them and laid level their city of Jerusalem and the temple and hauled them off to Babylonia. And then all of a sudden, 70 years later, God let Cyrus come in from Persia and basically didn't have to fight a war. He just took over the country. And then he said to the Jews, hey, I decree that you can go back to your homeland. Go back and rebuild. Well, interesting. Notice it says in the text, thus the Lord... Thus says the Lord to his anointed. Now the word anointed is Messiah. To his Messiah. You see, a Messiah is one who is anointed for a purpose. Cyrus is called a Messiah. Thus says to his anointed, to Cyrus. And then notice what it says. God says to Isaiah, Whose right hand I have grasped. Look, Cyrus, I got your right hand. I've subdued nations before you, which he did. Cyrus was king of all the power of the time. He says, and to loose the belts of kings and open doors before him, that gates may be closed. He says, I'm going to go before you and level the exalted places. I'll break in pieces the doors and so forth. And he says then, last part of verse 3, that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name for the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel my chosen. He says, I call you by your name. I name you though you do not know me. Whoa. So here's this Persian ruler, the all-powerful man who conquered Babylon in 539 B.C. and God controls him. That's important to understand. God controls this this pagan king, but anoints him to be a Messiah, a savior of the people, that they might be delivered and go back to the promised land. 
Now, move this forward, and we come to another Messiah. I mean, there were several Messiahs in the Old Testament, named anointed ones, but the Messiah appears in the New Testament as Jesus, the Son of God, the Savior, the Deliverer of people, not from a country or a ruling power, but from the power of death, sin, and the devil. Jesus, the Messiah. So what are we going to do with this Cyrus? Look on the front cover of your, of your worship folder for a minute. And we see two pictures, obviously. We know who they are now, obviously. Cyrus and Jesus. Two important people. Two messiahs. So what do we do with Cyrus, pagan ruler called Messiah? Cyrus served the one he does not know. Ha, huh, interesting, isn't it? Cyrus, in an inscription which we have, on some inscription he himself wrote, he says, I'm the power of the planet. Yeah, Cyrus thought he was really the powerful, most powerful man in the earth. And he was, from a political point of view, at that moment. But yet he's an instrument in whose hands? God's, right? He's an instrument in the hands of God. He's anointed for a purpose. Okay? Flash that forward to Jesus, anointed for a purpose to save us from our sins, death and the devil, and move it forward to today. Same as today. Rulers, celebrities, revolutionaries, they're in God's hands, right? Isn't that what the text is telling us? They are in the hands of God. They may not know God, Kim Jong-un, North Korea, Putin and Russia, Ayatollahs in Iran. They don't know the true God, but yet they are in the hands of the living God. So this leads us to trust God for the new thing that he always does, even through storms, disasters that plague us in our lives. Notice what it says on the front cover. I am the Lord and there is no other. All right? You agree with that, right? He's the Lord, the Almighty God, and there is no other. Cyrus had a god he worshipped, Murdoch, because he even wrote about it in his inscriptions. But God says through the prophet Isaiah to Cyrus, I am the Lord. There is no other. The God you worship, no good. Notice what it says. I make well-being and create calamity. Hmm, now we're getting a little sticky in theology, are we not? God alone can make well-being and create calamity? Well, when Israel, the Jews, did not obey God, lived in sin, he let Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon come and Wipe them out, basically. Destroy the temple, destroy Jerusalem, and haul the most important people over to Babylon to live. Take them out, took them out of their country. When they came back, when Cyrus let them come back, what did they come back to? Ruins. Their houses were ruined, level. The temple was only totally destroyed. There was no house of worship. So think about that for a moment in today's culture. The people in California are going, and those houses have burned, 3,000 structures are going back to ruins. Nothing left. 
the hurricanes, destroyed places, homes, the floods, our country, the Virgin Islands, Puerto Rico, rain, the fire, Eagle Creek fire, close by us. People come back to ruins. But yet, when the people came back from Israel, this time they didn't get the big deal they got when they came out of Egypt. When God delivered them out of Egypt through his Messiah, his anointed one, Moses, God, remember, he fed them in the wilderness. He gave them bread, and he gave them quails, and he fed them and took care of them, and he gave them water from the rock. But now, this time, not so easy. They've got to bring their own lunch with them. They can't. They're not provided all these goodies. And they come back to ruins, and they've got to rebuild, and they've got to work and rebuild their country. But they had to trust God to rebuild. Just as the people who've lost their homes in the hurricanes or the fires have to trust in God on how they're going to rebuild their lives and their homes. Because God's word becomes the final word for human history. Not Kim, Putin, or Trump, or anybody else. They have not the final word. And in your baptism, when you came to the holy waters of baptism and were baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you were anointed to be a child of God, to serve Him by serving others and reaching out to the people around you with the good news of a Savior, of a Messiah, who has delivers, us, delivers us from all our tragedies and problems. So this brings us to a word, sovereignty. The sovereignty of God. Now, let me ask you, do you believe the sovereignty of God? Now by sovereignty it means all-powerful, all in control. Do you believe that God is in control of everything in the world, in our country, in your life? Now you're probably going to say, oh yeah, I do. I say, no, you don't, all the time. I don't. Because the moment that I want control, the moment I decide how to do things, I no longer believe in the sovereignty of God. To believe in the sovereignty of God is to trust his power, his authority completely, and to trust in God above all things, with all your heart, it says in Proverbs, not on your ideas or your power or your thinking. So the sovereignty of God becomes a question here. Do I want to run the show? Yep, sometimes I do. I want to decide. I want control. And that's where the sin enters in and where I need forgiveness and God's mercy and God's love. But that's the good news of Jesus. You see, the problems that you and I face in the world are complex. And probably more complex than they have been in centuries. When we look at the world situation, we hear the news, and I'm tired of hearing the news at night. I almost don't want to even listen to it anymore. All the world problems, all the country's problems, all our problems. And you and I have personal problems, right? I got problems, you got problems. We're faced with various problems in our life. But here's the good news. This is not fake news. This is good news. God does offer a one-size-fits-all solution to the problems of the world and to your problems. And it took place on a hill outside Jerusalem 
where he gave his son on the cross to die for you and me. For your forgiveness of all your sins, to defeat the devil, and to save you from eternal death and hell. And Jesus promised the final kingdom will come where there will be no more hurricanes, no more floods, no more forest fires, no more war. But yet now all things belong to him. We live in his kingdom and we confessed something in the creed today. In the Apostles' Creed, you said, you believe that Jesus sits at the right hand of God. You believe that, right? If he sits at the right hand of God, he's got full control. God has given him control of the universe, control of the world, control of you. So why are you afraid? Why do you try to take things in your hands? God is in control of all things. So you see, I can give him my sins, my death, I can give him my fears, my pain, my sorrows, and you too, you too can. So notice the last phrase on your bulletin cover. I am the Lord who does all these things. That may be hard for us to understand. All the things that go on in the world, it's the Lord who does them, or who's in control. And that's what God said through Isaiah the prophet, and it still rings true today. But one of the problems that you and I face, one of the reasons for our discouragement, and why I get discouraged, and maybe why you get discouraged, is that we fail to understand God's sovereignty. That God is the one who's ultimately in control. God sees everything, past, present, and future. Our life is just a little tiny speck out there. It fades quickly. But he can see our beginning and our future. But we can't. We can only see what's right in front of us, what's right here today. And sometimes, I think, maybe you do too, because we are Christians, because we're Lutherans, because we follow the Lutheran heritage, because we celebrate 500 years of Reformation and say we follow Luther, that we got it made. But that's not true. We face problems because of sin, whether we're Lutherans, Presbyterians, or Catholics, or whatever we are. We sometimes think that because we, who are we are, and we go to church, and we give an offering, and we do things and read our Bibles, maybe, perhaps, everything's supposed to be wonderful for us. Why, life should be wonderful. But show me in Scripture where it says that. It's not a promise in Scripture. We will face discouragement and problems, but they're all for a purpose. We have struggles sometimes, but in Romans 8, we find our ultimate comfort. It reminds us that God works all things for the good of those who love him. And that's the truth that you and I cling to in our life today. 
God is always moving behind the scenes. We don't always understand that. Look how he moved behind the scenes with Martin Luther, which next Sunday we celebrate the Reformation, and for Sundays thereafter, we'll look at the 500 years of, since the Reformation. And I like the theme that we've got in our synod. It's still about Jesus. It's all about Jesus, not Martin Luther. It's about Jesus. But Jesus was working through Luther to bring back the truth that he wanted proclaimed. And he works in your life and my life as well. He works through us because of our baptism, because of our confession of our faith and our trust in God who says, I am the Lord who does all these things. We have every reason to trust God for the future. I don't have to trust in the political promises out there. I don't have to trust in the world situations. God's got it all in his hands. He says, I make well-being and I create calamity. Whatever comes, we're to trust the Lord with all our hearts. And then he will make our paths straight, as it says in Proverbs. The methods that God uses can be difficult sometimes for us to understand. But they're always for the best. So when you start going through things, remember, it's for the best. And God is with us. He's with us. You see, when you look at the two pictures here on your bulletin, Cyrus is not the ultimate savior. He saved Israel from the clutches of Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians. But that was just for a temporary, but it was also sets up the kingdom of Israel again back where Jesus can come to promise to fulfill the ultimate Messiah. And the picture of Jesus reminds us that we have Jesus, the ultimate Messiah, who is the Savior. He saves you from your sins, from eternal death and hell, and from the devil himself. You have victory in Jesus Christ. Now isn't that wonderful and exciting to celebrate? So thus says the Lord, Cyrus, hey Cyrus, you don't know me, but but I got you in my hands. But better yet for you, he says, hey, you know me, and I've got you in my hands. God has you in his hands through his son Jesus Christ, whom you believe in, who sits at the right hand of God, who will come again and take you to heaven to the ultimate place of victory. But in the meantime, he makes well-being and and calamity, but he's the one who does all things, and all things will work out for good for those who love the Lord. So love the Lord. Rejoice in his love. Celebrate it. What a wonderful blessing you and I have as fellow followers of Jesus Christ. God bless you and your journey with him. In his precious name, amen.